0: You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free
1: edition.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Sweden in Focus. We are recording this on Thursday, the 6th of October. Today, we're going to discuss Nobel Prize Week and a Swedish winner, the incoming government's move to ditch plans for high speed rail infrastructure, the security situation in Sweden with regard to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Nord Stream pipeline explosions, and delayed NATO accession. And finally, we'll discuss the impact work permit delays are having on people who increasingly feel trapped in a country that might not let them return if they leave. To talk about all this, I am joined today by our regular panellists, James Savage in Stockholm, and Becky Waterton and Richard Orange in Malmö. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. We
5: should also mention we've got Richard's dog with us again today. So if there's any weird dog noises. That's why. Yes. And
0: we're also (laughs) going to hear a little bit later from people affected by these work permit delays. So stick around for that. Richard, I noticed that you wrote an article this week about all the ways you can lose your driving licence. I hope this wasn't written from personal experience.
6: Well, Paul, as, as a matter of fact, it was.
3: <laughs> that was, I was, that um, was a slight, set, a slight up, perhaps. <laughs>
6: but um, yes, yes, it, it, it did. It was. Um, uh, <laughs> because it goes back to... I, I did a story up in Norland on green electricity in, I think, October last year. And you're driving around these really... In the middle of nowhere, you've just got this one-lane road and you don't know if you're going through a village <laughs> and you don't see any speed cameras so i ended up getting i think two speed fines from cameras flashing me and then Ouch. and then i went and then i went up again which was completely you know financially it completely destroyed any kind of profit from the from the trip but and then and then <laughs> i and then i went up again in i think the spring last year and i got another one and then a few weeks ago a letter which was dropped into my letterbox from the transport agency saying this is an official warning you've done because none of these were I wasn't like you know gunning at 150 kilometers an hour you were talking like 10 kilometers over the limit yeah and um and and it's it's a, a warning. You know, th- this is we've decided not to take your license off you this time, but watch out. The very next week after I got that message, I was driving around in in the countryside in Skåne, and I got flashed again. And then a few days ago. The police sent me a thing.
0: So I've, I've I've lost count now. Was that was
6: that four? That's now four times. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> within two years. So it's not good. It's not
3: good. Very very naughty, Richard.
6: Well, I I kind of I mean I I got I've been driving in Sweden what ten years. I get I get flashed like all the time. <laughs> And and nothing ever happens. And now suddenly it does. So I'd kind of got sort of used to I'd stopped being worried about speed cameras.
0: So what's gonna happen with your license now? Is it gonna be revoked for a period or what's the story?
6: Well, it depends. It won't necessarily be revoked, but it might well be. And and that's the thing. And I thought I was gonna lose my license, have to take another test. The relief from doing this story is is that normally I think they suspend it for two months, maybe, maybe a year, and then if it's like this a kind of minor speeding infringement then you normally don't have to take a test again because i'm I, I, swedish driving test is unbelievably difficult i don't know if anyone's taking it and so i i think if they did that i just wouldn't pass for years and i would be without a car for for years and years and years what i found interesting is that i don't know if this is the case in other countries but in sweden you can lose your license for a whole range of things that have got nothing to do with driving so you can lose your license if you commit grievous bodily assault on someone. The court can just go, yeah, you shouldn't have a driving or
5: license. Or if you're just drunk. Like well, if you're publicly drunk, you can lose your license for yeah, being like... Really? Yeah. If... I, that happens... I, I'm, I'm publicly drunk quite
3: often. But yeah, I, think, exactly. I think it's if the, risk.
5: if the police get you for being publicly... It's like if you're an alcoholic. If you're like, I think of... it's okay if you're on your way home from a party, <laughs> right. but if you're like wandering around the town square looking drunk then they can be like, well, we don't trust you to drive because you might try I mean, and get in a car now. That has out. been
3: me on certain occasions. <laughs> can, can I ask if you're probably drunk now? <laughs> no, I'm publicly sober now. It's 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 9.30 in the morning, I assure you. All
0: right, let's 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 move on. So it probably hasn't escaped your attention that it was Nobel Prize Week this week. And we had a Swedish winner, Svante Perbu, who garnered the medicine prize for something even I could nearly understand. Becky, who is Svante Perbu? And why did the Nobel Assembly at Karolinska Institute award him this year's prize.
5: He's a geneticist, he's working on human evolution and his kind of specialist, I think technically he's a paleogeneticist because he looks at Neanderthal DNA. So he kind of explores human evolutionary history, yeah, the evolutionary path from Neanderthals to, to Homo sapiens and he also discovered a previously unknown relative to Homo sapiens which is Denisovans. Or Dennis Ovens, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But also, he just seems like a really great guy. I, I was watching the interview with him, uh, or listening to the interview with him f- from the Nobel Prize Committee when they were like, they called him up and it was like, yeah, what were you doing when you found out? And he was like, yes, I was just drinking a cup of coffee. And I got this phone call from Sweden. He's Swedish, obviously. And I thought maybe the lawnmower had broken in our summer house. And no, it's the Nobel Committee saying I'd won a prize. So <laughs> I, I thought I thought my colleagues were joking with me, but then it suddenly all got very serious. But no, he just seems lovely. And a great thing about him, or like an interesting fact about him, that his dad, uh, Suna Bergstrom, also won a Nobel Prize. This was in the 80s, also in physiology or medicine. But a very kind of interesting life story in that Svante Perbo was the secret family of his dad, Suna Bergstrom. So he has a half brother who is kind of Suna Bergstrom's legitimate son, who only they only found out, like he only found out that Svante Perbo existed when they were both in their 50s they were both born in the same year i had an interview with him as well when he was saying when he was in school so he grew up in i'm not sure what the which area of stockholm it was but kind of a a poorer area of stockholm um and he was in school and his teacher was like oh so what does everyone's dad do and he was like, yeah, my dad's a professor. And the teacher was like, took him to the side and said, OK, don't lie. And then he <laughs> came into school and said, yeah, my dad won a Nobel Prize. We're like, stop lying, Svante. Like, you can't just make this stuff up.
3: How interesting. OK, so father and son Nobel Prize winners, but he didn't actually grow up with his father. So
0: he grew up with his mother, who was also a scientist. Yeah, but his
5: father visited Svante and his mother every Saturday when his kind of legitimate family thought that he was working at the Karolinsky Institute. But he was actually just going to visit Svante. So they had a relationship and everything. It's just his father's other family didn't know that he had this other son.
0: We usually insert a little bit here where we thank members for paying for the local and thereby enabling us to do this podcast. And we also want to encourage non-members to join. And I thought I'd bring you in this week, James, just to talk about why it's so important.
3: Why should people become members of the local? Well, if you like what we do... Then I hope you would find it worth 49 krona a month, and we have some good discounts out there as well to support what we do. Because you know it's not free. We all need to live. We all need to eat, and we have other colleagues who you know who you don't hear in the podcast, but who help to keep the whole thing running. And right now, this podcast is free to listen to. The website, however, is um, has a paywall, and if you really enjoy the podcast, we'd encourage you to support us by buying a membership. I think it's, it's pretty good value. It's, it's the cost of, as the cliche goes, a couple of cups of coffee a month, cheap cups of coffee. And that way you can ensure that we can continue doing what we do because um, the advertising market is very volatile and therefore we are very reliant on our members' uh, subscriptions in order to keep the show on the road.
5: And it can help ensure that me and Richard have a salary and can write articles. On <laughs> <Like,
3: And> me. <laughs> I, I was, yeah,
5: all of us. But I mean, mainly, like, we're the ones that write the stuff on the website.
3: That's true. We know that a lot of you who are listening to the podcast are members of The Local. And um, we know that some of you who weren't members of The Local before you started listening to the podcast have become members since then. And for that, we are enormously grateful. And we hope that more of you will take that step because it is in the, in the long term the only thing that ensures that the podcast and the rest of the local keeps going.
0: And as you mentioned, James, there is um, there is an offer. You know, if, if you're considering becoming a member but are not quite there yet, you can find an offer at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. The four parties in Sweden's right-wing bloc let it be known this week that they will not be pushing ahead with the construction of a high-speed rail network that Sweden has been planning for the last eight years. Uh, first of all, can we just explain what that plan was, Richard?
6: Yeah, it's it's called the Herg-Hestikatz-Torg, which means high-speed train, or more recently they've been calling it Nya Stambarnor, which is the kind of the, the new trunk lines. And what it is, is it's a Y-shaped new separate set of tracks which would go from Stockholm to Jönköping and then split to one line going to Gothenburg and another line going down to Malmö. So the, the Gothenburg line was called the Barnan, and the other one was called the europa And the latest cost estimate, I think, is 325 billion kroner for the lot, which is about $30 billion. So it's a pretty expensive project. But the idea is it would be able to go, you know, more than 300 kilometres an hour and would mean that you could get from Malmö to Stockholm in, I think, two and a half hours instead of four and a half or five hours nowadays. Mm. And I don't know how quick it would be to Gothenburg, pretty fast. But the other real advantage is that it would take passenger traffic off the old lines, which could then be used for goods transport and regional trains. The hope would be that it would stop a lot of the delays you've been seeing at the moment because the network just doesn't have the capacity for the amount of people who want to use the trains. And it was actually initially, announced by the outgoing Reinfeldt government in head of the 2014 election. it Yeah, was so that's, kind a, that's
5: the moderate government. The
6: moderate-led government. So it was, this is going to be our, the, it was part of their sort of, we're going to invest in a sort of new, amazing Swedish infrastructure. And then the Green Party and the Social Democrats pushed it, and it's, it's been mainly pushed by the Green Party, and then gradually it's developed.
0: Okay, so it sounds like everybody was sort of behind it for a while, so why have the, the four parties in the right-wing block now decided to abandon the plan?
5: They've said that investment in the high-speed rail, Risks edging out other necessary investments in infrastructure.
6: I mean, what, what what they say is that at the time that it was proposed in 2014, it was something like a third of the cost that it is now, and it's just inflated as these massive projects always do. And there's been a lot a lot of reaction against it because it was. I mean, this plan's pretty far developed in that they've already struck agreements. They've had a big sort of debate with the with the regions and the municipalities. They've struck agreements with them. Municipalities have started building infrastructure like in Jun which is going to be the kind of hub for this thing. They've, um, you know, already started building a whole new district in the town, so that they're suddenly pulling the rug out of this thing has caused quite a big reaction.
3: Also, what's interesting with this project is the attitudes towards it are very differ a lot depending on which region you're in, on different, different depending what area you're in. There are some areas that um, we're going to have a station, for example, that are very much in favour of it because it's going to bring growth and jobs to their region. They think there are also other areas that are very much against it because the whole idea with these long trunk lines is. That they don't have too many stops, so there are lots of places where the where this trunk line is going to go through, it's going to cause a lot of disruption while it's being built, and bring absolutely no benefits at all because it just bypasses them. There's also a lot of debate about well, actually, we need investment in road infrastructure. Lots of places in the countryside that feel that the roads are not properly maintained or not or, you know not widened where they need to be widened. And th- there are some. I saw there was a, there was an argument in the right wing editorial pages of Fankur Dagblad this morning that was arguing that well, actually, this trunk line would only take a very small number of cars off the road. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily have the desired effect. Of course, the, the, the other argument is that it, it might take some planes out of the skies as well. Um, so that's the, other, that's the other side of side of it because clearly not only for trips between Stockholm and Malmö, for example, which would obviously be shortened, reduce the need for people to fly between Stockholm and Malmö, but also between Stockholm and Malmö and the continent. Um, it would be much quicker to go to places like Hamburg and on to Berlin and Paris and Brussels if that um, stretch between Stockholm and Malmö was, um, was shorter. So There are, you know, environmental arguments um, going backwards and forwards on this.
0: But not going to happen anytime soon, it seems. Let's talk a bit about the security situation in Sweden now in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all the knock-on effects it's having, which have come back to the surface in Sweden in recent days and, and weeks. We spoke last week about the Nord Stream pipeline explosions and we still don't know who's behind them, but the incident has definitely put Sweden on edge again. In national news broadcasts, there's a lot more talk again now about Sweden's military and psychological defences with Foreign Minister Anne Linde describing the security situation as the most serious it has been since the 1980s. And if we start with Nord Stream, what's happening in the Baltic Sea now from a Swedish standpoint in the area around where the blasts occurred?
3: Well, Sweden has sealed off an area of the Baltic Sea, effectively. An area of the Baltic Sea in Sweden's economic zone, but not in Sweden's territorial waters. So it's international waters, effectively. And they've sealed it off, trying to stop other ships from coming in and out. The investigation has been passed to Serpo, the the security police. So Swedish prosecutors have imposed a ban on all marine traffic, all submarines, all drones in the entire region, although some commentators have questioned whether that's legal, because as we were talking about, it's international waters, not territorial waters. And now there is a, um, a dispute with Russia, surprise, surprise. Russia, which um, is trying to pin the blame for this these explosions on the United States. I don't think many other people believe that, but that's what Russia that's what Russia is saying. Um, and they say that they, Russia, should be part of the investigation. Nord Stream, the Company which owns the pipelines, which itself is fifty-one percent owned by Gazprom, the Russian state, says that it has been denied access to the pipelines and would like to get there to inspect them. And so, there is a bit of a dispute, but right now, it's uh, there is there's an ongoing investigation, and um, well, we'll see what it turns up. Of course, the other concern about this is that the the fact that the first of all, with the pipelines, with the, the very fact of the, of the pipelines being attacked, and many suspect Russia. Although there's no proof of that yet, um, the fact that um, Sweden is, is excluding other ships from this area of, of, of the Baltic Sea, there's obviously the there's concern in some quarters that this is raising tensions even further in the Baltic Sea. I don't think anyone sensible is sort of blaming Sweden for doing this. That it's, that it's there's there's no other option. But clearly, the explosion and now the investigation means that you know. Tensions in the Baltic Sea are at, at a high point.
0: So we also had news this week that Turkey had reacted furiously to a segment in the Swedish satirical news show Svenska Nyheter in which a Swedish Kurdish comedian spent several minutes ridiculing Turkey's President Erdogan in the Kurdish language. What was the Turkish response and does it have any bearing on the ongoing NATO negotiations?
6: It was pretty angry. I mean, it, it, Turkey's a country where you don't really criticise the president. I think the, the, the reason for this satire is that Swedish television had interviewed somebody who had been jailed for saying that, on Twitter, that President Erdogan was grumpy or surig. So, so, so that was the the sort of the jumping point. I think the idea was, well, if you can't take that, how about this? <laughs> and then they unleashed this barrage of ridicule, both from the host, who's uh, Christopher Ahonen Applequist, who called Erdogan a fool and ridiculous for being so sensitive. And then they called on a Kurdish comedian, who then, uh, Kadir Meral, who then did a skit that just basically attacked Erdogan brutally on being bald, on, you know, they, the bubbles in from Nordstrom was him farting. And then they had a picture of him like bending over. And then he says, you think you're the Sultan, but really you're like the Sultan bed from Ikea, like bent over on all fours. And then they showed a picture of Erdogan on all fours in his underwear, like not, 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 not kind of boxer shorts, but the kind of full- body kind of victorian underwear and uh, and and then he goes but in sweden we think that something that sort of thing is totally okay and then uh, and it says pretty hardcore i think from a turkish point of view where you can't really criticize the president at all and the timing of this is quite interesting because on wednesday which is um, this wednesday that's just passed Uh, The Swedish delegation turned up in Ankara to discuss the next phase of the the discussions over implementing the agreement they struck in in June over bringing back Kurds from Sweden to Turkey. So I think the reaction from the Turks could be part of that as well, because they came out with it as the Swedish delegation arrived. So I don't know to what extent they are genuinely upset by this or it's a kind of reason to kind of up the pressure to go, you know, look what your country's done.
5: I mean, um, Svenska nyheter comes out on Fridays and they waited until Wednesday to summon the Swedish ambassador. So they, they, they waited until the day where the Swedes were in Turkey anyway to get offended. Exactly. But they could have just mm. done it on the Friday when it came out.
0: And uh, so there's just Turkey and Hungary left to ratify uh, Sweden's NATO applications. So those are the easy ones, right? Yeah,
5: no surprise there. <laughs> oh, they're they're not best buds with Putin or anything.
3: I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, I think it is, it is very interesting that it's those two countries, isn't it? And I don't know exactly what the level, what the state of the discussion is in, in Hungary right now. But if you were to add another country to Turkey that you would assume might cause some trouble, it would have been Hungary, wouldn't it?
0: And we'll be back after this short break. Now, my role at the local means I'm not as deep in the Swedish news as Richard and Becky. I work across all our sites. So, for example, I've been working with our journalists in Germany on the launch of a new podcast there, which we've given the highly original title Germany in Focus. And I recommend you to check that out if you're interested in Germany. It's really good. But anyway, back to to Sweden in Focus. And we had a meeting earlier in the week to discuss what topics we wanted to cover. And Richard, who's watching the news very closely, mentioned a petition that. That's been signed by more than 5,000 people calling on Sweden to allow non-EU residents to be able to travel back to their home countries while they're waiting to get work permits renewed without running the risk of getting turned away at the border when they return to Sweden. And Richard also pointed me to a story he had written about this with the headline, Foreigners Trapped by Swedish Work Permit Delays Call for Visa Relief. And reading the article and the comments under the petition, it became apparent that this was an issue that was having a very negative effect on a lot of foreigners' lives. And it was something that was important for us to talk about. And in a few minutes, we'll hear from some of the people affected. But first, can you explain, James, what's happening here, who's affected and what kind of delays people are facing?
3: Well, the background is very long delays in processing work permit renewals. Many people's work permits are taking 15 months to get get renewed. But we're hearing of people who are taking more than two years to get their work permits renewed, and these are people who are already in Sweden have jobs, um, just want to continue in the same jobs on the same permits. It's not, uh, but even even that simple process or seemingly simple process is taking an awfully long time. Now there are issues at the at at the at the migration agency. Obviously they are coping with particularly high workloads at the moment with and people coming from Ukraine in particular. But this is leaving some people in a ridiculous situation. Some people are saying that by the time the renewal is approved, the permit has almost expired already. So it's a a very strange kind of system. And the crucial part of this is that you are allowed to stay in the country and continue in your job while your permit is being considered. But there's no guarantee that you can leave the country and come back in while that process is going on. They changed the rules in June to allow you to go leave the country to go to a business meeting. but if you want to go and see your family, perhaps go you know go go to a wedding, perhaps even your own wedding, a funeral to see a, a parent who is dying there's no exception there's no there's no way of getting a dispensation. You can leave the country and hope that the embassy will issue you with a visa to come back in but there's no guarantee that you will be able to do so this is causing enormous problems for for a number of people
5: i think it's important to point out as well this applies to people that are not visa free so there's a list of countries where you don't need a visa to get into sweden and for those people they can leave and come back if you're if you're from a country that does need a visa to get into sweden then then you will need to apply for a new visa to get back in
0: and we're going to listen now to conversations I had this week with uh, three people who have signed the petition. Walid Dajani, who's an energy consultant from Jordan, Amanda Herzog, an American marketing manager, and Fadi Sleiman, a Lebanese software engineer. I asked them how long they'd been waiting for work permit renewals and what impact the delay has had on their lives.
4: My name is Walid, and they come from uh, Jordan. And I've been living here in Sweden since 2016. I came to do my studies in uh, August 2016. I did my master in energy engineering, and then I stayed uh, for work since then.
2: Well, my name's Amanda Herzog. I moved to Sweden in 2017 as an exchange student at Jönköping University. And I was only supposed to be here for six months, and now it's been almost six years. This January will be six years. Um, because I decided that I wanted to work here. I really liked the, the culture, the work-life balance. I wanted to start my career here after graduating. It's Fadi
1: Sleiman. So I'm a software engineer. I started working in Sweden since four years. I came
4: just for work. Like I haven't been able to leave since, since my permit expired in March 2021, not until end of May, when um, my father he passed away back home. And then, yeah, I like, of course you can leave, but you know, you know, the the thing here that you can leave, but you cannot come back and then you risk your job and your life here. So I tried to reach out to Migrationsverket as well as uh, police grandson, the border police, Mm -hmm. just to ask for a document because I was leaving for sure, but I just needed something to enable me to come back. But they told me that it's, um, it's up to me to leave or not. So in the end, like I reached out to the Swedish embassy back home, and I explained the situation to them, and they were much more cooperative. And they told me that I can apply for a, a single entry visa once I'm in Jordan, and as long as there is no decision in my case. And that's what happened. I went to Jordan beginning of June. I missed the funeral, but at least I was there for my family. And um, I applied for the, uh, for the single entry visa at the embassy, and they gave it to me. And then I came back. So that was the only time that was I was able to to leave Sweden.
0: Yeah, I'm very very sorry to hear about your father.
4: Thank you. So that, that
0: was obviously very stressful for you at a at a very difficult time. Not not knowing whether you would be able to get back into the country. Yeah, exactly. So just in general. So what what impact has this weight had on your on your life and your your personal well being?
4: <sighs> like I don't know, my. Uh... My mental well being is just de- deteriorating because it's it's so hard. It's like a big, a big prison. Like if if you tell like when you tell, when you talk to your family back home, you tell them I'm I'm stuck here, they tell you, oh, well, it's, you're stuck in Sweden. That's a nice, that's a nice nature to be stuck in. But it's not it's not that simple. Like I've I've missed my my brother's engagement and wedding and so many other friends as well, many occasions, many trips that you've missed. Yeah. It's just work and the the only vacation you take is just. There is no change, basically, to your life. It's the same routine for the past 22 months.
1: There are two things. It affects my work because I work for an international. Uh, The last time I traveled, it was three days before the end of my permit. Uh, The second thing is that uh, with the family, for example, I have my father that is like eight years old, and nobody understands why you are working abroad and you cannot travel. You are in this big prison uh, mode.
2: I have um, applied for many jobs that were interested in me until they found out I needed a visa. I'm 32 years old. I've never owned a home because I'm too afraid to settle down because I'll get kicked out. I am too afraid to get, like, a to really invest in a, a car that's a long-term car. So I just bought a cheap little car because I might have to move at any point in time.
1: You feel humili- humiliated in somehow. You feel uh, marginalized. You feel uh, maybe oppressed in some, somehow because you didn't do anything. You, I didn't commit a crime. So why having this, uh, this uh, situation of not being able to move around? It's my right to move around. And also, for example, people ask me, like, did you travel this year? No. Why did you didn't travel? Swedish people don't understand why I cannot travel you feel yourself second level in society.
2: I have had a lot of physical symptoms from stress, which is totally common for us in a situation from being under a high level of stress for months or even years, because when you get one visa approved, you know you have to do it again in two more years. So you're not really feeling better. You're just temporarily, you know, it's almost like you're treading water and you get to sit on a rock for a couple minutes and you got to go back out there and do it again. It's not a long-term strategy for life.
0: We've just been listening to Walid Dajani, Amanda Herzog and Fadi Sleiman, who all signed a petition urging Sweden to find a solution that will enable people to travel in and out of the country while waiting for their permits to be renewed. And we'll put a link to the petition in the show notes so that anybody affected can can go in and sign now you've been in touch with the migration agency over this richard what are what are they saying
6: well it's a bureaucratic agency what do you think they're saying they're saying there's nothing we can do mate they're saying um this this is um this is the law the law is set and and so in the petition it says we think you could maybe extend the d visa which is the visa that James was talking about that allows people to go leave on work trips that in the petition that suggesting that this could be expanded so that people could also leave Sweden to go to weddings or to visit their elderly parents or whatever. And what the migration agency said is that this D visa is not something that the migration agency has brought in. This is part of the new set of rules that came in in June and those rules limit it to business trips. And there is not a provision in the law to issue a visa to people who are waiting for work permits to to come to leave Sweden and come back for personal reasons, so they're sort of saying we under the law, we cannot do this, so that so if these people are going to get helped, i don't know that it it would have to be done by the incoming government very quickly, which means they could have to wait for years. I mean, how quickly can that happen So not good news from the migration agency in terms of their response. It was very much a kind of there's nothing we can do. I suppose it's a bit like the the problem there was with uh, talent deportations that in the end it had to go back to the to the parliament and to the parties in government to try and do something to solve the problem.
5: Yeah, I mean this also this wouldn't be an issue if the waiting times for work permits weren't as long. So like if you solve the issue with long waiting times, you solve the issue with people not being able to leave.
3: Absolutely. Like
5: if if work perm if you're waiting a couple of weeks, then you can handle waiting a couple of weeks. But if you're waiting upwards of two years. And a work permit's only valid for two years anyway, so then you end up getting it and having to apply for a new one straight away.
3: Exactly, so they end up in this quandary for quite a long time. And and, and the waiting times at the migration agency are, to some extent, in the migration agency's hands. That is an organisational issue that that they have the power to deal with even if one must accept that it's a very difficult issue they they clearly you know have a limited budget and an awful lot of things they have to do
0: and, and all the people i chatted with said that this is really detrimental for their mental health i mean it's just not a, a good situation for for anyone to be in i mean of course it
5: yeah is. i mean i i so i'm visa free so i don't need a visa to come back into sweden but i've like Specifically, decided not to go back to the UK until I get my work permit. I have a family member who who is quite ill at the moment, and I would quite like to be able to go and visit them. But I mean, I the only piece of the only thing I have that proves that I am waiting for my work permit and should be allowed back into Sweden is kind of a screenshot from the from the migration agency's website saying that I've applied for a new residence permit.
6: And what's depressing is that it's not outside of our community it's not a political issue at all there is no urgency that there's the government is not coming in going we need to sort this out so that our software industry doesn't just get
3: strangled by this in the long term this is this is highly detrimental to all industries that rely on foreign labor foreign talent because Ultimately, this is, this, this is detrimental to people's quality of life and it makes Sweden less attractive destination. It makes people who are already living here want to leave. So, of course, it's detrimental to, this, to, to all Swedish businesses who rely on foreign talent.
5: I, I didn't go on holiday this summer because I didn't know if I'd be able to come back to Sweden because my work permit ran out. You know, you take it for granted, like how many Swedes think twice about whether they're leaving Schengen for summer, but then it means that you're, you feel like a second class citizen because you're not allowed to leave the country. You're on house arrest. It's like, what have I done wrong? Why am I not allowed to leave Sweden? All I've done is lived here. I'm married to a Swede, like my daughter's a Swedish citizen. And if you're working in Sweden on a work permit, it's like you've not done anything wrong, but you feel like you're being punished.
6: I mean, what's depressing is that there isn't a more sort of Rheinfeldtian kind of positive growth orientated, let's build this sort of forward thrusting country that, 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 that's great for tech companies, that's great for science, that's great for business. It's just not there at the moment, that whole debate.
0: that's all we have time for today thank you for listening you can find links to the stories we've discussed in the show notes and the petition we mentioned thank you to our regular panelists becky waterton richard orange and james savage and to our sound engineer Rhys edwards i'm paul O'Mahony, and we'll be back again with another episode of sweden in focus next saturday until then take care that's all for this week's free edition of sweden in focus